Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Will joked about the fall weather, and he's exactly right, but uh, something that is true of me and maybe true of you, and it's kind of a joke inside of our family, of how much I look forward to springtime when the days get a little bit longer. Uh, I love when the time changed. Uh, this year, even in our little parish group, I started sending texts out to people every day that we're a little bit closer Daylight is a little bit longer today than it was yesterday, and they finally got tired of my text. But there's something about it that I long for the winter nights to come to an end and daylight to come earlier. So my favorite day of the year, without question, is the second Sunday in March when the time changed and we spring forward. Amen? Thank you. Um, but if you think about it, losing an hour of sleep is really not an easy thing for us to adjust Our whole society, I noticed this at work again this year, we're all a little bit sleepy every day for a week or so. It's not a good thing for us to go through this year after year after year. Now, it's harder to get ready. It's harder for the kids to get ready. It's harder for everything. But I will gladly trade the tiredness that I may feel for the sunlight that comes in the evening. I'll gladly make that trade. In our passage this morning, in Psalm 119, we're going to see that as followers of Jesus Christ, we may have been so exposed to the glory of the Lord that yes, there may be times of trouble in our lives because we follow Christ, but we'll gladly trade that because of the reality that we know the one and true God. What we're going to see this morning is that God's desire for all of us is that when we experience him and see his truth, it will change us in such a way that our hearts no longer thirst for the things of this world, but we thirst for him and for him alone. Last week, Robert mentioned uh, that we're in the season of Lent, and Lent is a time of repentance, a time of giving up so that more and more of the Lord's presence becomes our greatest desire. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at the Psalms as a way of examining God's perfect will, and then the Psalms leading us to an ongoing state of repentance. Last week, we looked at Psalm 19 and all about the beauty of God's creation. This week, we look at Psalm 119, answering this question. When we fall in love with God's truth, how will that affect our life? What will be the effect in our hearts of longing for God and his word above all other desires? That's what we'll be examining this morning. A couple things I want to highlight, though, about Psalm 119. Stephen mentioned uh, this is all about God's word. 
It's a psalm about the Psalms. It's the Bible's description of the Bible and its greatness. In the psalmist day, this would have been the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. But Psalm 119 is the largest chapter of Scripture in the entire Bible, 176 verses. So I thought it'd be appropriate, since it's spring break and we don't care about basketball this afternoon anyway, that we would just cover all 176 this morning. Nowhere, nobody has anywhere to go. No, but seriously, there are 22 units in this chapter. Each chapter begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In Hebrew, there are 22 letters. So this chapter reveals the fullness of thought about the Old Testament language of God. I think it's fascinating why the Holy Spirit chose to arrange this chapter in such a way. It seems clear to me that this chapter is to be designed by God for us to learn its content. These 22 different units essentially are saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. And that is that the word of God is greater than anything else. And it is to be seeped deeply into our souls. And when that happens, our lives will be an overflow of God's living word inside of us. It's fascinating. There's not a natural flow of thought. It's rather the same thought. That we need the truth of scripture. The testimony of God's word is greater than everything else. So here's my question for this morning. As we look at just a small slice of this chapter. What will happen in your life if you fall more in love with the word of God? I'm going to mention two things this morning. Obviously there are plenty of things that we could talk about. But just two highlights from, from our passage. When the Holy Spirit moves into your heart. And you love God's truth. You will have a willingness first to recognize your uncomfortable position in life, and then secondly, realize your ongoing need of passionate prayer. So two things. See our strange position in life, and then secondly, see our ongoing need for prayer in this life. All right, first, recognize our uncomfortable place in this life. By place, I mean it's the state of being that is true of us as followers of Jesus as we long for him to return. It's the reality of our lives that we do not always care to remember, yet we cannot escape its truth. As human beings made in God's image, our bodies, our souls, our lives, we are designed to live inside the Garden of Eden. Our hearts, our minds, we are designed for heaven, the perfect fulfillment of being with the Lord. That's what we know our bodies and souls are designed to be. And we intuitively long for the peace, the perfection that comes with it. What was ours in the garden and what someday will be again. But as we live day by day in this in-between time, we know that something is not right. In so many ways, we are constantly reminded that the places we find ourselves day after day are those places and those people who have been affected by sin where perfection does not exist. This fact is complicated as well for those of us who are believers who have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have tasted the beginning of our salvation and the eternal joys that are ours in Christ. So we know what is true and we long for that which is true. But notice in Psalm 119, verse 17, we see the psalmist says that he desires to keep the law of the Lord. The psalmist obviously desires the goodness of the Lord above all other things. He desires for God's truth. And verse 20 says, his soul is consumed with longing for God's rules at all time. 
This psalmist is all in. He loves the Lord. His heart is fully committed to the law of God. He's fully committed. He wants the very thing the Lord wants him to want. He could not be more committed. So maybe you're tempted to think because his heart is in such a great place that everything else in the rest of his life should just be fine. But notice the issues that he faces and the reminders that are real in his life. As he seeks the Lord's ways, notice how he describes himself in verse 19. He calls himself a sojourner on earth. That is, he is a stranger on earth. Where he lives, where he finds his being, where he finds his status, he's a stranger. He's someone out of place. He's someone that does not belong. So here's the scenario, and maybe it will ring true in your heart. The psalmist's heart has been so changed by the Lord that he loves the Lord, he loves the word, He's falling more in love with Christ. And the more that he does that simultaneously, the more and more out of place he feels inside of this world. I want to suggest to you this morning that that is the normative experience for a Christian. That the more in love you fall with Christ, the stranger this world becomes. Inside of this world where Satan is allowed to roam, where sin still exists we all should feel some ongoing reality that the holiness of God is beautiful and we long for it, and yet the world denies it and hates him. As Christians, we should always be wrestling with this fact. Inside this place we live, something is not right. This is a strange place because we are strangers here. Jesus was keenly aware of this fact, and he warned us of it. In John chapter 15, verses 19 19 through 20, he said that the world did not accept him, so that they are not going to accept his followers. He said about us, you are not of the world. See, we're going to feel uncomfortable. Just consider what is true in our world today. The things that we hold dear and precious because they're true in the word, we can see that the world rejects them. From discussions about gender, to discussions about life, to life after death, to even to the reality of sin itself, we are increasingly an odd people. Another part of our discomfort is revealed in verses 22 and 23. Not just a general discomfort that the psalmist had, but a particular part of his life is that he was the victim of the world sinning directly against him. He says here in verses 22 and 23 that he was a victim of slander. That is, these princes, the influential people, people that cared about him who wrongly wanted to picture him in the wrong way. These people were actively saying things about him which were not true. Church, notice this is a real dynamic in the lives of genuine followers of Christ. We are not to be surprised at the reality that there will be people who hate you because they hate your Savior. They hate you because their hearts are enraged at Him. And they will take their vengeance out on followers of Christ. They will take their vengeance out upon us. That is part of our calling. This is an uncomfortable life. Maybe you've experienced this at time in your life. Maybe you've experienced it at work or maybe with unbelieving family members. 
I know in my life of uh, many years in campus ministry, I saw this to be real, where college students started walking with the Lord, we'd go on a summer project, maybe even join staff of a campus ministry, and everything seemed great until their unbelieving family members were like, wait a minute, I thought this was cute, you following Jesus, but now you want to devote your life to him? And something changes. Our uncomfortable lives will always include some element of being reminded that this is not our home. If you read the entirety of Psalm 119, there are other places that reveal such things as Christians have perpetual sorrows in life. Christians have loneliness in life. Christians have humiliation in life. There are various afflictions that affect us. Why is that true? is we are constantly reminded that this is not our home, that we long for the day when Jesus will come and bring his perfect will with him. As we wait, this is an unusual place to be. And it's here during Lent that I think we need to wrestle. And that is with our own personal sin, how we are designed and how we react to the discomfort that is true in our life. So I ask you this question, church. How do you respond to the discomforts of following Jesus in 2022? When your sorrows are too much, when the temptations are too great, when the afflictions hurt too much, when the slander is too awful, when the distractions make the word of God seem silly or even archaic, do you continue to trust? Do you continue to follow him? See, I think somewhere deep in our heart, we just want life to be comfortable and easy. And Jesus is doing far more in our lives to let that happen. Back in December, uh, I traveled to New England with a couple buddies from church. Uh, One of them had a place there, and we decided that we were going to go hiking in New England in December. Talk about a strange thing in a strange place on earth. The last thing you should do in New England in December is go hiking. But we did it. The locals called what we did ice hiking. I called it crazy. Here's what happened. We're on the outskirts of Vermont, to the highest point of Vermont, where we climbed in the snow. So three of us together, all guys from church. Truthfully, if I could be honest, most of that day was about the best day I'd have ever experienced in my life. We had incredible beauty, we had incredible fellowship, we laughed, we had great food, there was an outdoor challenge, the scenery, everything about it was perfect. Until it was time to come down the mountain when the trail was covered with solid ice. Even though we had equipment designed for it, we kept falling time after time after time. After my fourth time of falling, I said something along the lines of, it is time to get off this stupid mountain, get off of it now. Like, the fun is over. This is no longer fun. Even though we had the beauty, even though we had the fellowship, even though we had the enjoyment, even though we had the exercise, it was hurtful. I think sometimes that could be true in our fellowship of Christ as well. That we can enjoy being together. That we can enjoy the truth that is ours in Christ. That we can enjoy the fellowship that we have. But sometimes... We just want life to be easy. How did the psalmist deal with being a stranger? How did he deal with being slandered against? How did he deal with the pain of being a stranger? We know in verse 20 that his soul was consumed with the Lord, but what did he do in the midst of his struggle? 
You see, not only will falling in love with the Lord reveal this uncomfortable position in life, but from Psalm 119, we also see, notice secondly, the passionate prayer that was involved in his calling. Recognize this passionate plea to the Lord. When the psalmist's heart was burdened and his life was difficult, he responded as Christians throughout the ages have responded. He called out to the Lord with words of prayer that reflected a heart in trouble. In this section, there are three things that I've noticed in which the psalmist cried out and prayed. And I want them to serve as our application this morning as we're in the season of Lent. Notice first prayer, verse 18. The psalmist asked God to open his eyes to see the, quote, wonderful things of God's law. In his time of struggle, he needed more than to simply remember God's promises. He needed to remember that these promises are wonderful. That these promises are precious. That these promises that God gives to his people are great. But catch this. It was not that the wonderful components of the law were hidden. No, it was not the law's fault. But rather, the request was that God would take all of the distractions from his own eyes and remove them so that then he could focus upon what was beautiful in the law. The issue is not with the word. The issue is with his heart. The issue is with the psalmist's own personal distractions. So again, I ask you this morning, what is blocking your spiritual eyes from seeing the wonderful word of God this morning? Are you blinded by hours of social media? Are you distracted by the blindness that comes from a political discourse that's not going to come to an end? Do you wish your life were just different so you find a way to cope with that? Or are you asking God to do whatever it takes to see the beauty of his word? You see, the desire of God's children is to be something like this. Lord, do whatever you must do. But let me see the beauty of you and your word. See, this is not an idle request. He wasn't just hoping that God would magically make something show up and appear. No, this was a spirit-filled, heartfelt plea to the God of the universe, matching the longing in his heart. Oh, God, I want more of you. Do whatever it takes. This question must be asked during the season of Lent. Do you long for the wonder of God's perfect ways, or are you content of seeing little of him? I hope as a congregation over these next few weeks that our desire will match the Lord's desire for us, that we would hunger for him. So not only does he pray for his eyes to be opened, but secondly, in verse 19, he prays, hide not your commandments. That is, in the spirit of longing for the wonderful truths of God, the psalmist is desperate to obey commandments of God. You know that in our sinful state, we are so stubborn, we're so rebellious, that we don't want to follow any laws. For us to desire to follow God's rules is proof that God's spirit is alive inside of us and working. Do you know what a transformation it must take place in our lives to be that we desire to be told what to do. If you desire that this morning, be encouraged, God is at work inside of you. 
The one thing the psalmist wanted more than anything else is, Oh God, I want to obey you. Please, God, show me your way because your way is the ultimate path to joy in this life and the next. So are you seeking just to get through this life or do you dare want the joys which come with obeying God's commandments? Lastly, after praying for his eyes to be open and for commandments to not be hidden, he also prays in verse 22, take away the scorn and the contempt that is in my life. That is, he is praying connected to the slander and the lies and all other injustices that have been hurled at him. He prays, oh God, take them away. I love this request. He is saying to the Lord, I'm not guilty of what the the world says I'm guilty. I'm not, because I am with you, oh God. So he prays, God, take away the lies, take away the liars that goes with all of them. Do you see, God does not expect you to undergo one injustice after another in his name. No, we are to go to him and ask him to deal with it all. And so that we will then see ourselves the same way God looks upon us and sees us. Because when you pray to God for your deliverance from all of your forms of injustices, you are praying in the name of Jesus Christ who took all of these injustices upon himself. When he went to the cross, all of your sin, all of the sin done against you was placed upon him. He received the wrath for it all. So that now when God looks at you, he sees someone that he is proud of, that he loves, and you cannot be loved any more than what you are now in Christ. He received it all. In God's sight, you bear none of it. So when you pray, you pray as an adopted child who has been purchased with the greatest gift ever, the blood of our Savior. And then you can truly embrace the strangeness that comes in this life because your life is hidden with Christ. And what is true of him is now true of you. So you truly can go through this life experiencing the joy of God because God's spirit is alive inside of you. And you are counted with Christ. You can cry out in prayer because God knows you as his child. And you are welcome into his presence all the time. This is life in God's word. Our lives are different, but our lives are in Christ. He is our hope. As we grow in love with the word, we fall more in love with Christ. And then we can say with the psalmist, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So church, TCPC, this year for Lent, find your life in God's word. Because it's there that you find Christ and what he says is true of you. I hate to say it. But we only have about six months until they change the time again, and it's back dark in the evenings. Maybe that will change. But here's the point for today. Be it light or be it dark, Jesus is with us at all times. His word is alive in our hearts. So we rejoice and we take comfort in who we are in Christ. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to come now to his communion table. Oh, Father, we, we take comfort, we take delight in the reality that you are who you say you are. You are our king and you love us. You have chosen to feed us. You have chosen to pour your grace upon us. Father, I pray today, may our eyes be open to the reality of your love for us in the person of Christ. And we ask in his name. Amen.